Welcome to the Boomer the Babe Show, your headquarters for interesting and stimulating conversation with people who have been there, done that, and bought the t-shirt. And here we are, the Boomer the Babe Show on a Thursday, a Friday morning, Friday the 13th, my goodness gracious. Uh, if anybody's uh, got that phobia, uh, hope you have it <laughs> under control during this show. <laughs> and you're Pete Peters. And I'm Pete Peters. And I'm Deborah Brown. Absolutely. And we are back again. We have uh, had that little layoff that we discussed last show. And uh, we're back. And we're back. And as, they, as Mike and Mike say in the morning on the ESPN Sport Talk Show, back and better than ever. So yeah, the, back and better than ever. And today we're going to be talking, I can't believe we're going to actually get to do this. We're going to talk about health care, but we're going to talk about it in terms of maybe a little political science, a little public policy. Oh, my gosh. This is right up my alley because, as you know, I have a sociology degree, so this is going to be great fun. Uh, We're going to have a good time with this. And our guest talking about that is Dr. Dean Waldman. He's MD, MBA, and uh, he's done quite a study and written a book. Uh, The book is uh, The Cancer in Healthcare, How Greed is Killing What We Love. Dr. Dean, thank you for being here, and welcome to the Boomer the Babe Show. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. So what we usually like to do, Doctor, is have our guest give us their biography in a very interesting way. And what we'd like you to do is what I call give us your two-minute movie. And that means tell us as much as you'd like to tell us about your entire life, all the way back to childhood, if you'd like, coming forward to today, all in two minutes, laser beam style. So please, your your two-minute movie. One one minute of the usual and one minute of the more interesting. The usual Perfect. is uh, I come from a long line of physicians. I trained, uh, went to school in sort of good places, uh, Yale, um, uh, Chicago Med, Northwestern, Mayo Clinic, and Harvard uh, all. Um, uh, I've been the chief of cardiology for uh, over 30 years at three different major uh, university hospitals. Um, in defense of being chief, I actually went back and got an MBA when I was 55 um, because I thought I needed that business information. And that's where I began to learn what's really wrong with the healthcare system. So that's the sort of academic stuff. The more interesting stuff is let's see, I was, I had tickets on the Andrea Doria, uh, if anybody remembers the ship that sank on the way into uh, uh, New York Harbor. I uh, was in Berlin when the wall went up, up, repeat, up. Um, I was at the 1968 uh, Democratic National Convention. Uh, I was there patching up heads, not as a political entity. Uh, I was uh, in Turkey when the uh, silent revolution started uh, in 2013. So um, I think I have the black cloud coming with me wherever I go. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm thinking, I, I, wait a second. <laughs> My word. Well, good I'm, for I'm you. Gonna, I, I'm going to ask you for the next hour. Get rid of the damn black cloud when you're talking to us. Be very careful, everyone. Step away from whatever he's got going on there. Well, that's an awesome story about the uh, the um, the places you have been. Oh, my word. Well, now you're here with us, and I'm glad. So, let's talk about um, let's talk about the cancer that is uh, that is killing healthcare because it is something is really really wrong. 
And um, and I noticed that you call it uh, killing what we love. Now, why don't we talk about that first? Let's talk about. Uh, I want to I want to interject something right here also, and 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 the 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 thing I want to make sure that we touch on here, and I don't know if this is a good place to do it or not, but uh, it's a, it's killing what what we love. I understand that. I'm interested in hearing what you had to say there, but somebody is lying to somebody somewhere. All these divergent uh, voices. Somebody's got to be not telling the truth, and I think that's part of what's killing the whole thing. Well, <clears throat> before the show started, um, um, Deborah uh, said something about we're going to talk about systems theory, and and um, I think the answer to what you just said, Pete, is that it's not so much that they are lying, although it's true they are, but and there are multiple days in that sentence, but what's going on is insurance, if you will, the insurance industry is off doing its thing in a system called healthcare when it isn't connected to the other parts of the system. <clears throat> For example, what I mean is they're out trying to make profit. Well, there's nothing wrong with making profit, but it's the way they make profit that is the problem. The way they make profit is by not giving us care. So they are, if you will, disconnected from the consumer, which is us, we, the patients, the people. And so if we connected them, if we brought this system that isn't a system back together so that they all worked for the same end, which is the health and welfare of we, the people, who might like to call we the patients, if they work that way, then this system would actually work, but they don't. And so it's not so much lying, it's that they have incentives, for example, insurance, to um, um, make money when we don't get care. Well, what would turn it around and say, what if they made profit as our health improved? Well, that would certainly be great for the longevity of not only the, the people, but also, frankly, the whole nation state of, of America. Exactly. I mean, exactly. <laughs> it would That's be right. same yeah, thing, would, the same thing with uh, uh, the cancer, which uh, you know I hope people will read because then they'll understand that instead of playing the blame game, we need to be saying, okay. This is a sick patient. Healthcare is a sick patient. It's not a political problem. It's not a financial disaster, which it is. But uh, if you want to fix it, you have to look at it as a sick system, as a sick patient. And the way you approach a sick patient is you first try and figure out why the patient is sick. You don't treat the symptoms. You treat the cause of the patient's illness. So you were talking a minute ago about uh, government and bureaucracy, as I talk over and over, the fact is the bureaucracy is working to its advantage to expand itself rather than serving us, which is what a bureaucracy is supposed to do. You mentioned that you didn't think there were, that it was political. Um, ex- explain that, if you do, if you would, because I, 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 see, politics all, I see politics all over it. Well, of course, my point is not that the solution is not political. 
but the approach has to be medical. By that I mean a politician, for example, tries to negotiate the best deal that he can or she can based on whatever the political realities are. A doctor does not try and negotiate with cancer. We try and get rid of it. So what I'm saying is you have to start your approach to actually fixing this sick system by saying, okay, let's use the principles that any good old-fashioned uh, doctor out in you know your hometown of Michigan, your home state of Michigan, uh, out in the boonies, a real doc, a good doctor, what would he do? He'd take a history, he'd, he'd do a physical exam, he'd do some tests, figure out why, for example, we're overspending. Everybody says, well, we have to cut costs. No, I say we have to figure out why we're overspending, where the money's going, and then deal with that rather than simply saying, oh, okay, we're just going to cut costs. So is asking the question why a systems thinking kind of um, approach? In other words, you ask why first? Yes. As a matter of fact, the the second uh, step in systems thinking is root cause analysis. The first step is problem identification. I think we know what the problem with our healthcare system is. It doesn't work. People can't find a doctor. It costs too much individually. It costs too much for our nation. We are literally spending our children's future. These are all the problem identification. We know that. But the root cause is the next thing you do, root cause analysis, is the next thing you do if you're a systems thinker, such as I, or if you're a doctor, such as I. You go after the reason. A patient comes in and he's um, going to the bathroom all the time and he's lost weight uh, and he's eating all sorts of strange things. Well, you don't fix his diet and you don't give him um, something that stops him from going to the bathroom. You figure out that he's got diabetes and then you treat the diabetes. Well, you know, it occurs to me that in this kind of approach, the stakeholders that show up um, are weighted by how much money they have. In other words, the insurance company and the the lobbyists that they have have more power than I do as a patient who is not happy with my the medical care that I received, frankly, from my last doctor, who fired uh, me as a patient. <laughs> I've actually been fired as a patient. <laughs> uh, you are absolutely right, and I would turn around and say, but... Suppose we had a system where, for example, there weren't third-party payers. Let's say that you, Deborah, had literally control over a large pot of money that you had put away over the last 20 years or 30 years in your case, in my case 40-odd, 50 years, put away in some kind of a savings account, and you could go wherever the hell you want and get whatever you want because you've got a large pot of money that you can use for medical expenses, and you're damn well right they, that is the sellers of services, will compete for your dollars. And they'll compete on two things. One is price because it's your dollars. You'll spend them as you wish. And number two, they're going to tell you what their outcomes are, at least if they want to get your business. So... One of the things I urge people to do is consider taking control 
we should get government out of the control of our health care and we control our health care dollars, which means we control our health care. So are you, are you just uh, referencing such things as health savings accounts and, uh, yes. and that type of thing? Yes. Not only do I believe in that, but uh, certainly I'm older than you guys, but let's say I put in, oh, uh, if you do the accounting, which I actually have done, I have put in uh, counting a, a nominal growth around $300,000 into Medicare over the last 40 years that I've worked. Okay, well, what if instead of the government controlling that money, I had that money? Now, God forbid I need, uh, you know, a heart transplant, which, you know, the price today is roughly a quarter of a million dollars. Okay, let's say I need a heart transplant. Well, number one, I can pay for it. But number two, you damn well watch the price go way down if the government and the regulatory machine was no longer involved and I went to a hospital that has a very good success rate with, say, um, uh, heart transplants and said, okay, I'm going to need a transplant. It's going to be in the next, you know, six months. That's what my doctor says. Um, By the way, I like my doctor because I chose him. Um, What can you do for me? And by the way, uh, if you don't have a 97% success rate, uh, don't bother bidding for my dollars. So you're you're, uh, suggesting that it would be much to our advantage to shop for health care services much the way you shop for an automobile. Yes, and as a matter of fact, uh, the, the only argument I've heard against what I'm proposing is, well, you know, if you're in an emergency, um, you don't have time to shop. You know, you have a heart attack and it came as a surprise. Okay, I accept that, and then you're going to have to deal with whatever is going on. But you, <clears throat> hopefully, bought what I would call real insurance rather than the insurance we have now, which is catastrophic insurance, so that you simply paid, you know, 100 bucks a month, and what you got for that was, uh, oh, I'm making it up, um, uh, over $20,000 uh, of expenses, and you've got plenty more than that in your HSA, over $20,000 of expenses, they pick up, every dollar thereafter so you don't have a financial disaster and you can go to wherever is an approved place if you have the time to shop or if you don't have the time to shop you're just going to have to go wherever you know the the ambulance takes you basically is what it boils down to but yes i'm a big fan of using the market and putting the power back in the hands of the consumer. As a matter of fact, I I have to mention the market thing for a second. Everybody wants to uh, cut costs, save money, and all this sort of thing on health care, and they want to economize. Well, I turn around and say, and this is back to what Deborah was asking earlier, what incentive does the insurance company have to economize? None. How about the government, the biggest spender of healthcare dollars by far, biggest consumer of healthcare dollars by far? What incentive do they have to economize? And the answer is none. And it gets worse. What 
incentive do we as patients have to economize? And that's what in the book, The Cancer in Healthcare, I say over and over, we have to align the incentives. We have to have the government um, uh, gain, if you will, when our health improves. We have to have the doctors rewarded for good health, not our good health, not for performance. I mean, if you think about perverse incentives, theoretically, every doctor who operates, like I I take care of children with heart problems, I, I should make a mistake every time I do a procedure because that means I'm going to have to do another procedure and therefore I get paid more money. Well, that's bizarre and crazy. What about um, a concept that I would call no life left behind, kind of like uh, the no child left behind, where you know that's when the doctor really gets rewarded when you know every life is is absolutely or every every win gets chalked up and they get more and more uh, reward for that, which is what you just said. But and I would you know, I, yeah, I would um, strongly agree. I would say this. Everything that doctors should do should be risk-adjusted in terms of the reward. That's where you're going, and I'm going to go there with you. Every doctor should be rewarded. You know, the, the, people will say, uh, it's a long-winded answer, but uh, it's an important one. People will say, okay, well, and doctors are just going to cherry-pick all the healthy people. Uh, and I say, no, the reward is greater the sicker the person is when he starts and the healthier he is when he ends. Now, in my case, it's fairly extreme. I mean, I have take care of babies with congenital heart problems, with holes in their heart and uh, arteries that are in the wrong place or didn't open or whatever, and these are children who are going to die. So if I take one of those children and turn them into a healthy, normal, uh, eventually productive adult, I should be very highly rewarded because the risk to the patient was great, the gain to the patient was huge, and so I should be rewarded. So uh, I kind of like your uh, uh, phrase, although I'd like not to associate it with no child left behind, but no life left (laughs) behind. Yeah, the, the sicker the patient and the healthier we make the patient as a result of our work, the more we should get rewarded, not simply for performing what what about uh, the situation where if if an individual just does not have the wherewithal to uh, develop their own health savings account, uh, are are they going to fall through the cracks if they need uh, health care, especially if they need uh, catastrophic health care? Sure, that's absolutely one of the key questions. Let let me uh, uh, play a little math with you here for one second, and that is this. Uh, the latest report uh, that I trust, because quite frankly I don't trust a lot of the data coming out of Washington, the latest report that I saw of the actual spending that our country did, which was from Deloitte um, a Consulting Agency, um, in 2012 our country spent $3.4 trillion total, soup to nuts, everything, on health care. Okay. Now, if you take the population at that time, which was 313 million Americans, that includes, by the way, illegal residents. If you take 313 million and divide that number, you'll find out 
that we as a nation spent $11,000 per person. That includes every baby, every four-year-old, both of my grandboys, one who's seven and the other who's four. Um, um, Everybody, we spent $11,000. Well, what if, instead of that, from tax revenue, the government put into everybody's HSA $5,000, which is less than half, and just stuck it in your account, and you bought catastrophic insurance for uh, a nominal amount, and otherwise you paid for your care. Well, how about the person who's only making $15,000 a year? He gets 5000 or she gets $5,000 stuck in an HSA, and the only thing they can use it for is medical expenses. Can't use it for cigarettes. Can't use it even to play golf. I'm sorry, Pete, but no, can't, can't use it. Um, so the people who don't have the wherewithal get supported by those of us who can, but they have responsibility. That money is all they're going to get. So are they? then they obviously must be limited to what that money would uh, be able to purchase. Is that well, the I mean, case? you know, you're a, a 30-year-old uh, who is, uh, you know, on, on unemployment or whatever, and uh, you have a wife and, and two children. Well, firstly, you're a family of four. That means you're going to get $20,000. Number two, uh, you can only use it for health. But, I mean, that's a lot of money for your child's vaccinations or for your uh, annual checkups for your wife's uh, uh, gynecological conditions or whatever. Um, um, I don't see a problem with that. In other words, I think that's more than enough, and that's still cutting our spending as a nation in half. And by the way, they're going to negotiate. That person is going to negotiate with a doctor, so they say, okay, well, you know, you want to take care of my wife, uh, what's the charge going to be? Gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, catastrophic health insurance. Uh, the, the, now, I think you mentioned that at some juncture here, uh, with regard to this process. Uh, does that does that play into the health savings account as well? Uh, uh, should they have the health savings account and catastrophic? Yes, uh, I personally would. Uh, urge that. Uh, the fact is, you said it earlier, you know, what happens if something, unex- God forbid, you're in an automobile accident and you you need all sorts of complex surgery. Well, you couldn't prevent that. It wasn't your fault. It's not like, you know, you ate yourself into uh, weighing 500 pounds or you smoked so much that you got uh, lung cancer. It's not something you uh, caused or could have prevented. You need the catastrophic because even if you got $40,000 um, uh, in your uh, health savings account, that's not going to cover some huge uh, hospitalization with three surgeries and whatever. You need to have catastrophic uh, insurance, and it should only be for a dollar amount so that you know. I mean, what do you, what is insurance for? Everybody I, I, it makes me ill to think that the American people think that health insurance, in contrast to everything else, is supposed to pay for health care. 
It's not. What insurance is supposed to do is prevent financial disaster, prevent you from being forced to go into bankruptcy so that if your house burns down, you have insurance to replace your house because you can't afford to just pay cash to build the thing back up after it's burnt down. That's why you have insurance. Well, it's the same thing for catastrophic illness. You just don't want to end up going to a bankruptcy court because, you know, the hospital sends you a bill of $100,000 for your uh, heart surgery or your whatever. Um, so, uh, that yes, I think everybody should have catastrophic insurance. But that's it. You know, you talk about uh, the system or the non-system the way it is right now. And, and what's really true, I, and I, I think you've written this yourself, is that I personally am simply a revenue source for the hospital, Big Pharma, uh, the doctor, uh, certainly the insurance company. So how do we unwind some of this, not just talk about it, which I know starting the dialogue is so important, but the dialogue has been started many times, don't you think? And and we we come up with stu- kind of stupid ways, not you, but stupid things happen, like things that aren't working that keep happening over and over again. Yeah, one of the one of the things uh, that I say in the cancer and healthcare uh and as you're going to hear from my voice I believe uh passionately is that one of the key problems with our healthcare system and I will answer your question in a, in a second. One of our key problems is the fact that we don't agree on principles. Now, in our country we have the Bill of Rights, and that's one of the things that 320-odd million Americans agree about. So I turn around and say, well, what are our principles for health care, for the system? For example, is health care a right? Well, before we uh, uh, do something based on that, I would turn around and say, let's discuss it and come to some form of consensus. So I'll give you a great example, and in uh, in Arizona you have an issue right now, as does California, which is what about the health care for illegal residents? Now, we need to have a discussion, a national discussion, about the issue of illegal residents. What do I mean? Well, for example, in Canada, in Great Britain, and especially, as a matter of fact, in Germany, which has an otherwise pretty good healthcare system, illegal residents are literally excluded. They don't exist as far as the national healthcare system. That was a decision that the government made. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. What I'm saying is we can't keep avoiding that issue here in the United States of America. The fact is we have between 12 and 15 million, many of whom are taxpaying uh, individuals, a uh, million people who are not citizens, yet they are, and they are excluded from Obamacare, but uh, they are guaranteed health care, regardless of whether they have money or insurance or anything, if they show up in an emergency room. That's the way the law reads. Well, is that what we want as a people, Americans? I don't know the answer to that question. But I do know that as long as we stick our heads in the sand, we are left with this mess 
where on the one hand they get care, on the other hand the rest of us pay for it, and on the third hand, forgive me, uh, uh, some of us think that's right and some of us think that's wrong. Let's discuss it. So I would I would argue, Deborah, that we haven't really had um, uh, an open discussion about these fundamental issues of health care, and that's what we need in order to have a system that works, in my view. Well, as long as as long as the can keeps getting kicked down the road in not only health care but uh, immigration and anything anything else you can possibly come up with yep. uh, that is decided in Washington at some level, as long as that, that can keeps getting kicked down the road, nothing's going to get done and nothing's going to get better, and that does include health care, unfortunately. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely on the money and. I have to say, uh, and nobody wants to hear this, and I don't really want to say it, really, when you come down to it, it's our fault. We are the people who put um, the people who are now in Congress. As as you know from reading the cancer and health care, while I uh, don't uh, have good reasons why I think Obamacare is very bad medicine for health care, this is my problem is not limited to the Democrat Party because both parties have behaved over the last 50 years in ways that are in their best interest, but not our best interest. Ours, we the people, and I think we need to take we, you and I and Deborah and you know 300 million other Americans need to take responsibility and say, look, if you're not going to serve my interests then I'm not going to put you in Washington. And, and that's what, the, and frankly, uh, they played to that constituency, and they've tried to convince that constituency that they are, uh, they will say whatever they want to say to make the constituency believe that they're playing to their interests. Yeah, you're right, but, uh, you know, we need to... I have been taking a poll now, P-O-L-L, for, I don't know, about three, four years. I actually started this because of uh, another thing I'll tell you about in a second with the book, The Cancer in Healthcare. Uh, I've been taking a poll. I've been just asking people as I go around uh, the state or the country or, uh, you know, Albuquerque, if you could throw out 535 members of Congress and the occupant of the White House, Without exception, you can't keep your senator or your representative. If you could throw all of them out, would you do it? I have yet to hear a person say no. I'd like to add to that. I'd like to add all of the staff because the institutional knowledge that they carry and then they become the powerful ones that will – you know, tell I mean, the person it, that comes in as a junior senator or a junior uh, congressperson, you know, this is how it's always been. This is how you do it. You follow my lead. I'm going to tell you what to do. Then you've got the same thing building. So you have to really clean house all the way. And you are 100% correct. I would turn around and say, you know, one of the things I learned from uh, getting an MBA, and uh, I say this a lot in the book, is, you know, a business uh, fails, succeeds based on, uh, you know, long-term cost-benefit analysis. You see, 
how much it's going to cost you and what benefit you're going to get and what benefit your customers are going to get, and then you make decisions. Well, why don't we do the exact same thing uh, and demand the exact same thing for health care, for Washington, for everything they do? Um, Obamacare is a good example. What was the cost? Well, first it was $900 billion. Then it was $1.1 trillion. Then it was $1.7. Now it's estimated to be $2.7. It's an open-ended uh, check, a blank check. Meanwhile, more important, nobody is measuring the actual benefit um, that we get. And so when you said, well, it's you know the little people and the millions of bureaucrats who support uh, the senators and the Congress people, you're absolutely right. I turn around and say, we should, as a people, the United, uh, the we the people, should say to our representatives, we, you can't do anything until cost-benefit analysis and evidence has been presented to us that says, yes, this will cost X, and it will give benefit whatever the benefit is, and I've got evidence to prove that. They don't behave that way, and if they did, it would get rid of, uh, I don't know how much of the dead weight uh, in the bureaucracy. You know, I, I point out in the book, and I assume you picked this up because it's, it's a very big deal. If you look at all the health care dollars that are spent in this country on an annual basis, 40% of those dollars never have anything to do with the care of a patient. It doesn't go to a doctor or a hospital or a wheelchair manufacturer or a linen supply or a pharmaceutical company. It goes to middlemen. Now, when you're talking about the amount of money we're talking about, that's over a trillion dollars a year that is what I would call being wasted by the bureaucracy, and that's the cancer that is killing us. Wow. Well, you know, I'd like to go back to that idea of getting rid of everybody in Congress, including their staff. I'd yeah. also like to add that that makes me feel bad to say that because I know that there are people of goodwill who yes. have, you know, at heart, they, they have to have our best interests. I mean, they have to at some level, but something gets perverted in the process. You know, of you, that is a, a question I have been asking and asking, and I'll tell you specifically. Right now there are 20, uh, two zero members of Congress who were practicing physicians, real docs, MDs, in the trenches with a patient at midnight in the emergency room or the, ER, or the OR or wherever. Um, uh, I know a couple of them personally. These are people who have the same ethical values that I do, that every nurse and doctor does, and quite frankly, that you two do, uh, Pete and Deborah. So my question is this. What the hell happens? They take an oath, uh, they get into Congress, and suddenly they behave just like the rest of the politicians, and instead of behaving like a good doctor trying to do what's right for a sick patient. I have to wonder, and I'm, this is a wonder, I don't know. It's not so much the socialization when they get there, I think, as it is the process to get there that sort of 
perverts. It perverts. It just okay, perverts. Okay, thank you. Yes. It, <laughs> yeah, it just it does. I mean, it's their value system from uh, what we'd like it to be to this uh, uh, political whatever works to improve my power and to keep me in this office and to expand the bureaucracy because that expands my power and my power base, uh, I'll do that. Instead of, wait a minute, what's going to help my constituency or the people of my country? They, they, somehow or other, that question gets uh, suppressed. And you're right, they get perverted. I mean, <laughs> it, it's well, here's very the problem. depressing to me. And it, it, I, it, it worries it, me, you know, I, I actually thought about uh, trying to get into political office. I'm afraid that I'll behave the way they do. Well, you become part of a um, a raging river, you know. You just become part of a raging river, and if you can't ground yourself somehow or grab onto something and, and stop yep. moving in that nastiness, then you're swept along with it. I know that was a very odd um, metaphor, but uh, <laughs> you know it really is just a raging river of crap, and and there's no stopping it um, easily. Now, it's not to say that it can't be stopped, because, again, we are people of goodwill. Uh, Pete and I have a voice. We've been um, talking to great people like you for years about stuff that are important, you know, important issues. So... I don't know. It's it is to me it's depressing to think that those people that we put in the in the office, you know, let me say it this way. We have two senators, just like everybody else, and I would like to think that they are my senator. Most of the time I don't. I feel like they don't have my best interest at heart. And that's not right. That's not the way I should feel. I also, most of the time, don't feel that my own doctor has my best interests at heart. Now, that's a terrible way to feel. So what, is, what am I supposed to do? What, you know what I'm saying? What am I, how am I supposed to take my power and use it for good? Because I have some. I just have to decide to use it. Now, yeah, it's, uh, not just vo- I, it's not just voting. It's not just voting, Dr. Dean. Uh, I regret to agree with you. I, I really... Um... Uh, I don't know how, and I, I happen to like the metaphor Raging River because, you know, if you think about uh, um, the power of the water of a raging river and somebody wants to s- swim in the opposite direction, yes, it's, yeah, good luck for that. Um, I, I, I feel your frustration. I uh, agree with it. But I will tell you this, and uh, uh, you're going to maybe say I'm just silly or impractical. Uh, a reporter several years ago coined a phrase, which, uh, again, I use in the book because I want to, to break it down. Uh, he called it a consensus of futility. That, you know, you, you try and you talk and you do this and that, and, and when you don't get the outcome you want, you finally give up and say, oh, well, it's just the way it is, and there's nothing I can do about it. And a lot of people in this country feel that way about health care. Certainly doctors do and nurses do feel that way about the political situation, and that's what I'm hearing in your voice. Um, I 
feel that way sometimes, and then I turn around and say, as long as I give up trying to fix it, then I've created a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, I will never do that. <laughs> I will never. I, I, I know I sound depressed about it because it is. it, it just does seem like that raging river is in my way. But yep. I will never give up. I will never give up because um, this is the greatest country in the world. And frankly, it's the best time to be alive in history, I do believe. And I hope that I have, God willing, 40 more good years. I hope. <laughs> I'm 61. I feel like I've got a good 40 years left, I hope, um, God willing. But, you know, it's like, uh, come on, everybody. This is this is not that difficult to figure out if you've got uh, people who understand systems thinking, if you've got people who understand how how it is not working now, and you put some people in the room that don't feel like they are stakeholders that are um, – you know, going to be compensated somehow by screwing it up more. You know what I'm saying? There's got to be some people like you and and me and Pete and some other, like a hundred other people sit in a room until we fix it. Why not? I, 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 <laughs> Come my with favorite me. <laughs> is I'll, I'll go with you. <laughs> I, um, uh, to uh, uh, right now, of course, all we're doing is saying how frustrated and, and um, if you will, depressed we are. But we got to get you and I and Pete and everybody else have to get beyond that and say, okay, let's look at not not what can we fix, which is in my mind a political way to view it. We have to ask the question. What is it that needs to be fixed, and how is it broken? I don't want to talk about what's possible. I want to talk about what is. It's like a doctor. I don't say, gee, I don't think I can get rid of your tumor. I say, I have to get rid of your tumor. I have to go away. I don't win all the time. I mean, there are some cancers that we can't cure. But, damn it, uh, I will not approach a cancer um, by saying, you know, I'll take out part of it. I mean, you know, that's the best I can do. No, that's not good enough. Not for the patient. And I, I uh, maybe I'm uh, impractical, crazy, but I really believe that if you and I and a lot of other people talk to each other and begin to help people understand why the system is not working. And it's not because it's a bad system. That's when I say system, I mean the United States of America. And I agree with you. This is the greatest country uh, on earth. If you, if you, uh, who was it? Ma- Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher said something I thought was great, which was she said, um, uh, "Europe was created by a bloody history. America was created by philosophy." We actually thought this country into existence based on some fundamental principles, and the number one principle was personal freedom, which also comes with personal responsibility, and that's one of the things that has been uh, downplayed, in my view, uh, for a number of years uh, with, quite frankly, the administration uh, currently saying, you know, we'll take care of you, We'll be responsible, and if you want to talk about 
um, something we need to uh, go back to our origins, I would say it is our country was founded on personal freedom. Personal freedom requires personal responsibility, and that means I'm responsible for those people in Washington. They're not responsible for me. What happens if a person wants to have uh, personal responsibility or wants to take charge uh, of their own health care or any number of things that can, you can discuss, but they can't they can't exercise that responsibility because they're 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 stymied at every at every turn based on what's going on uh, with the bureaucracy. And that's what that's what I say. The, the <coughs> in the book, I actually uh, my wife was not happy with some of the things I put in there because I put in there some of the things that I did that were uh, well, I'll just say it outright illegal in the best interests of my patients, or certainly against the rules in the best interests of my patients. Well, right now the system makes it almost impossible for a doctor to do whatever he or she thinks is best, right, and good for the patient. I say we have to uh, shout enough, we the people, to change the system because you cannot work against uh, Deborah's raging river, you have to uh, slow down the river and then redirect the river. And we have to do that. Uh, if you ask what can the individual do to get his or her care, um, there are ways to get around the system. Um, uh, they're, uh, for want of a better term, not kosher, but... Uh, uh, there are ways to get around the system, and good doctors and smart patients are doing it. But that's really not an answer. The answer is we have to change the system. And uh, that's why I'm pushing for everybody to get HSAs and for everybody to demand that that's the system we want. We'll take care of our money, government. Get out of my way and let me pay the doctor. Uh, you don't pay the doctor, I do. You don't pay the hospital, I do. Uh, it's my money. I, that's what I, I'm, I knew I had something I wanted to say to both of you. In preparation for um, the book, uh, you know, the, uh, the Cancer and Healthcare, we did some surveys to ask people various things about their lives and their health care and blah, blah, blah. There was one, very interesting, one and only one question on which everybody agreed. I don't care whether you were Republican or Democrat or my personal party, which is the JPD party, just plain disgusted. Um, <laughs> um, whether you were a woman or a man, young or old, uh, mid of the country or a coast, didn't matter. There was only one question that everybody agreed on, and that was this. What would you like from the health care system? The answer, 100%. I want more control over my health care. Well, well, that go ahead. We should demand that. <laughs> well, I had an somewhat along those lines. Uh, I, 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 uh, I'm a kidney patient, and I had a situation where my uh, nephrologist prescribed a particular medication for me, although it was not what it was designed to be. Uh, 
yep. prescribed for, and he fought, and he was told in no uncertain terms that he cannot prescribe that medication for me. And he sent letters, and I read the letters he, that he sent, and he, I mean, he, every, he did everything except curse at them, saying, look, I'm the doctor here. You're just a pharmacist, basically, is what he was telling them. I'm the kidney specialist. I've been certified kidney specialist for the last 15 years, and, da, 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 and I know what's best for this patient, and I know this works for him. And it finally turned out that he had to give me some other medication because they would not give me the one that he wanted me to have. And, and uh, I have been in the exact same position as has every other doctor who's been out there for a while, and it makes me, um, I was going to say ill, but it really makes me crazy because I'm the one who's responsible, and yet I don't have the authority to do what's right for the patient. Well, you want to talk about something that is wrong with the system that we need to fix. We need to get bureaucrats out of the examination room, out of the treatment area between the patient and the doctor, and there's no way around that. We have to do that. Um, you know, you're a kidney patient. I, I'll tell you something. The reason I quit, I'll, you know, I'll just say it on the air, the reason I quit practicing medicine was Obamacare. And the reason was this. I was on a panel uh, several years ago um, uh, talking about uh, health care and what's wrong with the system and blah, blah, blah. And right next to me was this other man who was a physician and a lawyer. He was an MDJD. He was an ethicist, and, and, and he was in a wheelchair. And he, he, the, the point's coming, and it directly relates to you, Pete. Um, um, and so we were talking about this and that quietly while somebody else was speaking. Well, it turns out he's 56 years old. He is this brilliant mind uh, who is trying to contribute to American society and to we the patients. And he's 56 years old and he's in kidney failure. Now, the reason this is important is that in Great Britain, the model for Obamacare and the model for the Independent Payment Advisory Board, which is part of Obamacare, in England, uh, the rule is if you're over 55 and you're in kidney failure, uh, kidney dialysis is, quote, not cost-effective, end quote, and therefore a 56-year-old Briton, uh, you know, a citizen in, in Great Britain, literally can't get dialysis. He just dies. And um, assuming your uh, Deborah's age, uh, namely over 55, God forbid you needed dialysis in this country I am terribly afraid that the Independent Payment Board from Obamacare is going to declare it, they're meeting in secret right now, is going to declare it um, uh, not cost-effective, and suddenly your doctor cannot do what he knows is good for you and the right thing to do because the government says he can't. And I had the same thing with my wife with a medication just like you, that the doctor wanted to give her for its side effect, not for its primary effect. And uh, the insurance company said, no, you can't use that. Well, the doctor knows better than some bureaucrat in an office 
somewhere. Well, if you change the system so that the insurance company got paid for my wife's illness for her health instead of for the amount of money they don't spend, which is the way they make profit right now, then things would work. But we need to yell and scream, we the people, need to yell and scream and say, this is what we want. You just said a minute ago, we the patient, which I think is probably the most, um, that says it all. That's that's it right there for me, we the patient. And I think if we had what I would call an American health care symposium, those yep. those hundred or so people that, that we could gather Normal yep. people, people who have had health problems, people who don't have health care insurance for whatever yep. reason, you know, people yep. that have have waited too long to get whatever you know things they need. I, you know, I have things that I could talk about that would curl your hair. And um, if we had this American Healthcare Symposium, that the solutions that came out would not benefit. Either administration, either the one in place now, the, the one coming forward in 2016, the one in 2020, it doesn't matter. It's never going to be political. It's going to be American. Yep. If we could I, do that, I, if I we will could tell do that. You, I, 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 I fervently agree with that. As a matter of fact, you guys are probably old enough. Uh, do you remember um, a, a show called Ethics in America? Well, you, you really uh, have to show I, I, I don't, you rec- really I don't recall look it. it up. And I urge everybody else to look it up. What it was was um, Fred Friendly, who was the head of CBS News and uh, got into a big struggle over what the news is really for, uh, left uh, CBS and started this show called Ethics in America. And he would get these people, all sorts of people from all walks of life, around this U-shaped table and they would discuss things like, uh, what are abortion rights? Is there such a thing as uh, an ethical war? Um, uh, does uh, business have any social responsibility? These are very tough, very volatile questions that administration in Washington will avoid at all costs because it's very polarizing, well, I have this dream of having what you call a healthcare symposium, uh, or anything you like, that literally is nationally televised, and we discuss questions like: Is healthcare a right? What does that mean? Uh, uh, illegal residents in this country: What are their rights? What are our responsibilities to them? Uh, why should insurance? have perverse incentives. Why should they get paid when we don't get care? In other words, uh, what is the government's role in health care? These are huge, important uh, uh, questions that I would love to have us, we the patients. That's my, I like that phrase, Deborah, because, you know, we the people describes us, all of us Americans, in the political sense. I like the phrase, we the patients, because it says all of us, 100% of us, 320-odd million Americans, either need health care now or will need health care in the future, and therefore we have that fact in common. 
and we should accept that we have a common problem, and therefore we should have a common solution. Well, I love it. I love it. I'm on your team. I'm there. I'm happening. Well, Doctor, I tell you, I hate to say this at this time, but I can see by the clock on the wall that we are running out of time. <laughs> and I'm I'm sure this conversation could continue for another hour. And uh, maybe at some point in the not-too-distant future, we could get you back again and we could have another hour's worth and uh, go into some greater detail in some of these areas. What do you think? I would love to. I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. I want people to talk about these issues to each other and not shout at each other with their ears closed. Before we uh, before we actually say goodbye, is there any information contact information that you'd like to get out at this time? I would love people to, they need to read the Cancer and Healthcare. The easy way to get it uh, is at its website, thecancerinhealthcare.com. Uh, it's very interesting. As a matter of fact, I have to tell Deborah this. Um, uh, it just won uh, a big book award. It was first place. But what's interesting is that it won it in the politics, political science category, even though I keep saying healthcare shouldn't be a political problem. The trouble is, in our country, the solution unfortunately, is political, even though the patient is a sick patient and needs a medical um, uh, uh, solution. Anybody Intervention, wants, yeah. Anybody well, want to talk, please just go to my website, which is D-E-A-N-E-W-A-L-D-M-A-N.com. Uh, there's a contact form on there. I love talking to people. I want to hear what people have to say. I would love it if they read the book so that they'd understand what the word cost means in healthcare because it doesn't mean what you think it means, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my contact stuff. Well, Doctor, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. As I said, we'll try to get you back. We'll contact your uh, publicist at some point here and see if we can get you back for another hour of stimulating conversation. And we're certainly glad that uh, that you came on board today. And congratulations and on winning that award for the book. Fantastic. Thank you, uh, thank you. It was uh, it was really an honor and a pleasure. Thanks again. Have a great day. Bye bye now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Boomer the Babe Show with hosts Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. The Boomer and the Babe Show is broadcast live on Tuesdays and Fridays. For a schedule of these shows and other shows produced by the Boomer and the Babe Radio Network, go to boomerandthebabe.com.